Hi, everyone. Back for first time in, geez, almost a month, I guess. This is Sports Matters for February 18th, 2014. We've been kind of focusing on the other program and kind of keeping some of the silly sports stuff over there. But anyway, joined by Ed Barnes, I'm Brian Wilmer. And I've realized, Ed, by the way, in the uh, the process of DTMA, that it's probably a good thing we never really counted the episodes on the sports side because I'd really be screwed at this point. I mean, dude, your shoes would have been off long ago. We would have just been like, what? I don't have more toes to use. Um, yeah, we've done a lot of those, haven't we? Uh, yeah, um, considering went back to 2005. It was like October 1st, 2005, the first time we did one of these things. So. I know, and then I had this like pesky job thing that kept me off the show for a few years. It was annoying. Damn responsibility. I know. Anyway, and that'll probably be the case again, although... Although, we can work around it a little easier this time, I think. Well, it's mostly day games I'm dealing with for the next couple of weeks. I'm actually going to be, excuse me, out at spring training, working on the um, first couple of weeks of Dodger telecasts on Sportsnet LA. I thought you'd have an opinion. I was pausing for you. <laughs> I thought you'd have thoughts on this. Just be like, oh, are you wildly overpaid or something? Well, um yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, that's why I guess we, I, I remember I've been listening to a lot of comedy podcasts lately, and people keep talking about, like, don't predetermine your applause breaks. And that's a perfect example. Uh, <laughs> Are you going to strain your hamstring and then complain about how you're not an elite, paid like an elite player? I'm going to date Rihanna. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. Um, so I'll be out there, and I think that with the schedule of games, uh, we should be able to get some stuff in, um, even if we have to work around the, the, the normal live time. But um, I don't know. Hopefully it all works out. Should. Yeah, things will uh, will be creative over the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that. And uh, if you want to contact the program, too, I should tell you how to do that. You can tweet us at Sports Matters on the Twitters. You can also send us an email, radio at sportsmatters.info, radio at sportsmatters.info. Uh, a bunch of stuff to get to tonight. Although, really, I think the thing that we would have talked about last week had we done sports stuff we can probably pretty safely avoid, and that's the Michael Sam topic. I think we've already pretty much addressed that in 500 other programs. I think most people know pretty much where we come down on that whole bit. Agreed. I thought you were going to say that it was going to be the you know, half pipe at the Olympics and the conditions just <laughs> – man, they're just bad conditions. And I mean obviously you know, with Sean White not winning, it shows how bad the conditions were. Well, yeah. I mean what's, what's the bigger deal is – is uh, Sean White not winning the bigger deal or uh, Tessa Virtue and whoever the hell that gangly dude she skates with not winning the bigger deal? Uh, <laughs> I just love that you you described him as the gangly dude <laughs> she skates with. Um, no, I, I, that that article that you sent me from Canada.com, it was <laughs> hilarious that in the comments people were like, hey – this site always has a Canada bias. It's like, it's Canada.com. <laughs> it's like USA.com doesn't have a USA bias. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I, call me crazy. Um, apparently, it's just bad to have a, a name that has any derivative of Sean in it. Because remember, there was Shawnee Davis in the speed skating, and he didn't win anything. But the thing that I thought was just incredible with all that was all the controversy about the the uniforms by Under Armour, the suits. Uh, yeah, the the Lola Same Jones bit. Weren't. Yeah. Well, no, 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 not for bobsledding. I'm talking okay. about for speed skating because what they said was that they weren't. Um, they, they actually slowed the skaters down, and the suits, you know, had some responsibility for the subpar performances of American speed skaters. And I, I mean, it's just a level of technology that's involved with certain sports that I just can't comprehend. 
I really can't. So for for it to be something where you're blaming your clothes for, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was the best skater, just my clothes weren't Olympic quality. So I, I had to laugh earlier at uh, our buddy Matt, friend of the program, from both Sharapova's thigh and uh, awful announcing. I know you're a big Sharapova's thigh person, uh, as mm. as have I been for years. But he's he's a what good friend. Isn't <laughs> yeah ah hey yo. But uh, he's a good friend of the program, and he was he was commenting earlier on Twitter, and he said I can almost set my watch to Lindsey Jacob Ellis not meddling. <laughs> Man, that's, but she's got you know a yogurt commercial to fall back on or whatever it is so that's good yeah mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of like i said to you about lolo jones earlier being 11th in the bobsled i said at least now she'll have two sports she won't meddle in well i guess the question is is what's really more important anymore if you have instagram followers does that mean that you don't have to be like actually successful or i mean <laughs> I'm, 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 that's a, it's a legitimate question i it, i realize there's a joke in there but at the same time you know Kim Kardashian wants to know. I got this mental image of like Lindsay Jacobella standing on the podium holding up her phone with the follower count being shown and she's in like third place and they play the US national anthem and everything. And then like Lolo Jones goes to the top and you know she she holds up her phone. I I, I can just picture this in like two Olympics from now. Well, I mean, if you really think about the coverage that the Olympic Games get, could you pretty much make a good correlation between follower count and TV time? Probably yes. Yeah, that's, so there you go. that's fair. Uh, the, the story <laughs> I just love how I so earnestly asked that question, just busted up <laughs> laughing, and then I realized oh, that sounds really ridiculous. Sounds... <laughs> the uh, the story to which we were referring earlier is is this, and I'm I'm just I'll tell you right now, folks. I'm just going to read this. We're going to quickly comment on, on it and then get the hell out of the way of it because I I know nothing about which I'm about to speak. To uh, aid in this process, I will mute my microphone until you are done with this story. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure you'll have a take on it because I know you will. Yes. Uh, C- Canadian figure skaters Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer on Tuesday questioned the loyalty of their longtime Russian coach after losing their Olympic title to their training partners. Virtue, 24, and Moyer, 26, yes, 24 and 26, lost their title on Monday night when Merrill White and Charlie Davis gave the United States their first title in the discipline. Both couples trained together at the same rink in Detroit under former Soviet ice dancer Marina Zoeva. And Moyer admitted at times they felt they were no longer the focus of Zoeva's attention, particularly after she missed their nationals, preferring instead to join Davis and White at the U.S. championships. Quote, We were both pretty blunt with her in the fall and leading up to the Olympics. We weren't happy and we felt that sometimes she wasn't in our corner, unquote. He said, continuing, We went to Marina on countless occasions and told her there was no way we would be happy with the silver medal. We've had some odd things happen this year that haven't happened before. We expected that Marina would march with us and be on our team like she was in Vancouver. She wasn't, unquote. He continues and says, Also, not being at the national championships for the first time in our whole career was odd. We're mature enough to handle that. Really? And we understand that sometimes she was on the other foot. She's been with us now for 10 years, and I really think that she loves us, and she pours her heart into our choreography. There's more. Uh, two-time world champions Virtue and Moyer lost their world title last year to the Americans and also the Grand Prix final in December with their style pleasing the judges less than Davis's and, and White's. We felt a little bit like we were in quicksand, said Moyer. We felt the shift, but we always peak late, so we had to trust in our training to have the performance we wanted in the Olympic Games. Moyer added, she's not in any easy position. My mom's a figure skating coach. Uh-huh. And she always says to me, you know she can't win no matter what. Well, you know, she does win no matter what. There's always an angry set of parents and an angry set of skaters out there, so she has a hard job. And he said that Virtue and himself had to rely heavily on the Federation for support. 
Now both Zoeva's couples have an Olympic gold and silver medal and two world titles each. The Canadian pair also picked up a silver in the team event in the U.S. Duoa bronze. Virtue said it had been easier to handle the fact that it was Davis, 27, and White, 26, who won, particularly as the 17-year career of the couple mirrored their own. That bluntness with Marina was saying second wasn't acceptable and we weren't going to settle for anything less and she needed to bring her A game and in return we promised to do the same. More ands in that sentence. As for Sochi being the swan song for the couple from London, Ontario, Moyer added, it remains to be seen. We don't have a clue what we're doing. There's your story. Lay in your take. Yeah, uh, I, I wrote down four thoughts. Uh, I mean, look, just because the coach didn't feel like poutine, that sounds like a good decision to go to the U.S. <laughs> Nationals instead. So, I mean, look, I'm not I'm not hating on that. I do wonder about you guys both choose to train in Detroit. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, there's no joke there. I just that's amazing to me. Um, the, the thing that's been so amazing about this, though, is not just this article, but the article that I kind of referenced from Canada.com where the guy, uh, there was a sports writer that said basically the fix is in. And it has been predetermined uh, because a French magazine, uh, L'Equipe, I believe it is, um, actually reported that there was a source saying there was a fix in for the Americans. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, who knows? I, I mean, any sport with a judge like this to determine a winner, there's always going to be questions, right? You'd think, yes. And of course, I mean, I'll, but, go ahead. Yeah. I just thought it was hilarious though that the sports writer was getting all worked up saying the twizzles of the Americans were not in sync <laughs> compared to the Canadian duo. No, the twizzles. You, you wrote a serious article about fin steps and twizzles, from what I remember. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you write about other sports or what else you write about, but wow. Hope you enjoy reviewing that story at some point and feeling weird. Um, yeah, I also love the line about my mom's a figure skating coach. That's like, you know, it's, my dad's a doctor. You're fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, and then uh, if second wasn't acceptable, then what are you going to do with your silver medals? Set them on fire, hopefully. Yeah. It's, Melt it's those things down. Yeah, it's like I asked earlier in the week, and I, I stand by this. The Olympics have been corrupt as all hell for years. I mean, you look at all the different stuff with the IOC and everything that's gone on there, and all of a sudden, ice dancing is the straw that breaks the camel's back? Seriously? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess so. I, I I, can't remember ice dancing ever getting so much publicity as it did this year. It's like, yeah, forget it's the... It's ice dancing. Forget the... Not uh, even pairs figure skating. Yeah, it's like, forget the people who were killed in 1972. This is clearly the biggest controversy in Olympic history. Absolutely. Yes. Right. The guy with the floppy blonde hair and that other U.S. chick, they won gold medal instead of the other people from Canada. Yeah, the uh, the U.S.-Russia basketball game from 1972 is now clear. We, we don't care about right. that anymore. No, that one's over. <laughs> so that, that whole situation just seems so ridiculous where they went on to blame their coach. They say they've been with the coach for 10 years and they feel the coach has always been in their corner, but all of a sudden she's just jumped ship. Why did you keep her as coach? <laughs> Especially like when your mom's a figure skating coach. Right. You hire your mom. So that that was just one of the things that kept popping up because this story keeps showing up, especially today, where they talk about <laughs> the headlines that came up. And obviously, I know that the people who wrote the stories don't write the headlines. But some of the, one of the headlines, I think, on the front page of ESPN.com was something like, uh, can a uh, Russian ice dancing pair mad coach help Americans? Or something like that. <laughs> <It was> just, <laughs> what? 
I don't know if that's quite reading the way you'd like it to. And I think they did revise it later in the day. Well, look at it this way. If uh, if Moyer's mom did eventually take over as their coach, at least, you know, they could carpool to the rink and they could go to Pizza Hut afterwards. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> oh, that, there it is. There's the headline. Can- Canada Ice Dancers Upset Coach Helped U.S. <laughs> there are that friends, but you know what? Like, Screw them. Yeah. Uh, that help ends at NAFTA. Um, so, you know, that, it seemed like a weird enough thing, though, that the same coach is coaching the top two teams in the sport. <laughs> and calling that a sport is still a really weird thing. I just tried to go with it, and it still felt odd. Yeah, but it's, it's like <laughs> it'll be a tough week this week in the World Series for Red Sox and Cardinals manager John Farrell. Right. Um, <laughs> so, I mean... <laughs> Uh, they're playing each other in the World Series this week. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's really weird. Farrell's bringing in his lefty to face Matt Holiday. Oh, <laughs> wouldn't you want to go with a righty here? This is just so weird. It's yeah, it's, almost like he wants one team to win. It's like uh, Broncos coach, Broncos and Seahawks coach Pete Carroll will have a tough, uh, tough road ahead this week yeah. in New York. So that seemed a little odd, and uh, I'm surprised that. It, if if she's doing this, I got to think that there are other people doing this in the sport, right? So yeah. it's kind of weird that the U.S. and Canada would put their championships on the same day, isn't it? Wouldn't that be a problem for more than just this one coach? Uh, yeah, you'd think. It's kind of like you know when when you're raising two kids, you know, and and one of them plays in a in a softball tournament one day, and the other's playing in a baseball tournament that same day, and you know you have to split up parents to go to go see one or the other and all you, you know right. how that works so you you have to kind of wonder it's like well who's who's her designate that she sends over to give moral support to the poor little hurt canadian right. skaters it it has kind of blown me away that the area where skaters wait for their scores is now officially referred to as the kiss and cry <laughs> yeah. it's not just oh this is a name that terry gannon throws out it's the actual name of it <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say i, I, I don't have a good joke for that <laughs> no i i just felt like i had to get that out there i just hope that everyone is enjoying the segment that we do you know about every two years or so on the show where you know instead of talking out of our asses about sports we we pretend to know about we talk out of our asses about sports we don't know anything about <laughs> yeah i i can tell you honestly we do it that... in the winter and then we switch to the summer about two years later <laughs> yeah see if we'd had a program in 1994, we might have talked about figure skating then. But other than that, this is probably the only time it's ever going to come up on this on this show, unless somebody all of a sudden is you know lost on the on the uh, you know the skiing shooting whatever event, and somebody skis into an icing rink and accidentally shoots somebody while they're on in the middle of their program. Other than that, it probably won't come up again. That's oh man, um, yeah. It's it's weird that we've just spent however long talking about ice dance, but uh, yeah, let's let's move know, on, please. Please, yeah. Can we <laughs> can we talk about uh, bobsledding now? Is that next? <laughs> no, my. I've already established from the previous show. If you didn't listen to DTMA, that everything I know about bobsledding has come from Cool Runnings. So, <laughs> I I, I want to talk about quickly this Rick Pitino quote about Twitter, which I'm sure you've probably seen, but he says. I think anybody in sports who reads social media is not all there. To me, it's the great class of underachievers who live on the internet and social media. I think it's people who waste their time and underachieve because they're not paying attention to what they should be. No, see, that's. I think that there's definitely a belief uh, that is going to skew older. And you know, as much as I'm trying to 
easily group people together. I think that would also prove to be true. But the belief skewing older is that, that every, all you're doing on social media is wasting time. And sure, there's definitely an element to that. And I'm not saying that, that it's 100% serious for anyone. But at the same time, Twitter can be a very useful tool for news gathering. You're a useful tool. Yes. Well, you know, I've heard that before, but still, I'm going to continue with my actual point, continue. which is Twitter can be a useful tool for news gathering. Right. A lot of times you get a headline on there, story to come. This is reported. This is something like that. And you can get to stuff before you're going to see it on a, a website like ESPN.com, since I see that one up on my computer in front of me. That's going to be tweeted out by several people before the actual article makes it up. So from a news standpoint, it can be pretty useful. Um but sure, of course, there's plenty of time wasting and, you know, you'd be looking at stuff that maybe wouldn't be your best use of time as a certain meme um, this day of the week would suggest. I'll <laughs> yes. just leave that as vague as it is. Oh, yes, I follow where you're going. But see, I know you would. <laughs> the, the, way to, the way to properly use Twitter is, as you mentioned, kind of a news aggregator. For anybody who follows me, you know that if I'm working a game, I'll... I'll send out game updates at, at you know the media timeouts and at, at the half and stuff and you know that's that's one way to do it but also to get breaking news as you mentioned because I, I find it hilarious uh, Georgia dismissed a player today off their football team and they dismissed him at like one thirty and, and Twitter had the story at like one forty five and <laughs> Comcast Sports Southeast is advertising how they're going to have breaking news at six o'clock of this dismissal it's like there's nothing breaking about it anymore it broke four and a half hours ago. Wow, that's uh, pretty bad. So that, to me, indicates that really it's not all the uh, the waste that one might think. And, of course, the other the other use for Twitter, aside from cat memes and various other, you know, daily-themed memes, is to try out your best joke material on people. Because, you know, as, as you know, that's, that's where you're going to get the best feedback, the most, uh, you know, timely return on your right. jokes. So. Sure. Always well-reasoned and thought out, too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> See, so, yeah, I, I I don't know. Somebody brought up the point, and and I, I I admire whomever it was that said this. I don't even remember who it was, but somebody said that they were waiting for uh, for Rick Pitino's commentary on AshleyMadison.com dot <laughs> com. Fair enough. Sick burn. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I was trying to think. I was like, man, that reminds me of something. What you're talking about reminds me of something that I see fairly often. What is it? And it's like watching Red Zone Channel where you see a play happen live in a game that they happen to have about a half hour ago, and then Fox about a half hour later or CBS a half hour later is like, let's go for a studio update with James Brown, and they show the same touchdown that you've seen about four times in four different studio updates. Yep. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's yes. not news anymore. It's, it's really not. This happened forever ago. Between my fantasy football tracker and my you know red zone channel and all of this, I – your studio updates are just a way to introduce me to Joel Klatt. <laughs> well, Basically, that's what it is. I, I also laughed at a friend of the program, Bill Voth, who's a, a former local sports personality in Charlotte and, and now is a freelance writer about the Panthers and various other things. He, okay. he uh, commented and said, no wonder Rick Pitino hadn't accepted my Facebook friend request. What do you think Rick Pitino's Facebook page is like? What do you think his <laughs> likes are? <laughs> Current relationship status, YOLO. <laughs> likes horsies um dirty counters yeah, so, man uh, dislikes new york knicks uh, something like that maybe 
but <laughs> chicken costumes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> you, you got me on that one. I got no good response to chicken costumes. <laughs> Something else too that I said about social media earlier today, and I, I said this to our, our buddy Anne Marie, who's the uh, the sales. I, I'm trying to remember her exact title, but she she oversees the merchandise store for the Nationals Double A team, and she was commenting on all, all the different spring training photos you're seeing of people throwing. And I had commented and said that they needed to mix it up and use the the high ally equipment, uh, javelins, tridents, et cetera, et cetera, instead of just baseballs. That needs to happen someday. I I still want to see high lie in person <laughs> one of these days. It looks just nuts. <laughs> If you want to watch it, just go back and watch an old Miami Vice rerun in the in the uh, open. You can You're see right. all you need I'm to sorry. That's my bad. <laughs> what am I thinking? <laughs> Plus, I'd get to hear the great music of Jan Hammer. So there's that too. <laughs> see, you need to learn the uh, the keyboard parts to that on the guitar. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? <laughs> just like if I could learn the NBA theme on uh, NBC by John Tesh on the guitar, <laughs> wouldn't that be awesome? No, I, speaking of that, that reminds me of something that I learned over the weekend. Uh, a friend of mine was working uh, as part of the crew on the uh, golf tournament at Riviera in Los Angeles over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So I watched uh, the last little bit. I kind of had it on in the background. I'm not a big golf on TV guy, but right. I was like, oh, let's see. Let's I'll check it out. What the heck? So I have it on in the background, and um, you know, I look up, and they're doing the trophy ceremony and all this, and they say goodbye, and they they rolled credits. So, you know, of course, look, there, I know that guy. So I waited and looked for my friend's name. And uh, one of the things I did notice from watching the credits for golf on CBS is that the golf theme song on CBS is composed by Yanni. <laughs> That's true. That is 100% true. There's no joke there. It is a real thing. <laughs> did Yanni deliver it to Jim Nance personally and say, hello, friends? <laughs> I hope so. Uh, I really do. Um Let's see. Oh, I, well, I'm really glad to know that PGA Tour on CBS Wikipedia page just says, since the mid-2000s, a Yanni composition, Fanfare, has been the theme song. Oh, of course. Well, we all know his entire catalog, so now that you've mentioned the name of the track. Actually, I think the uh, the theme to This Week in Baseball in the 70s and 80s was also called Fanfare, the closing theme. Really? I think so. Stupid trivia. <laughs> that's, that's scary. <laughs> Mel Allen. <laughs> How about that? That guy was awesome, though. Yes, he was. Well, that was the best. Especially in the Naked Gun. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> so I just sent you, yeah, the part of the Wikipedia page in case you didn't believe my reading aloud. <laughs> yeah, I'm skeptical until I actually right. read it on the Wikipedias. I'd like to know more about this Yami track that you're talking about. <laughs> so, you know, I... I just was wondering. I, I did write the guy and go, "Man, I had no idea that Yanni did the uh, did the theme for you guys." I mean, what else can you ask for? Long flowing hair, shirts that are open <laughs> about four buttons. Uh, the guy's got it all. <laughs> See, I, I I felt bad recently because I heard a uh, a countdown show from the '80s for whatever reason, and Kenny G was on the countdown, and I'm I'm sitting there saying to myself, "It's like there was really a time in this country." where Kenny G had one of the top 40 songs in this nation. Kenny G. Oh, yeah. Big time. Somehow has parlayed that into being in a lot of celebrity golf tournaments. <laughs> Been unbelievable. Um, 
amazing how that all was so what a perfect lead into talking about Kenny G. But seriously, that guy seems like, oh, avid golfer, Kenny G. Really? It's, <laughs> we're going to break in for a human interest story about celebrities play golf too with Kenny G. All right. KG is a channel again. baller. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Um, I, I'll let you decide whether we talk about hoops or about media consumption from here. Your, your Let's call. go hoops. Okay. Uh, I wanted to talk about Jerry Palm's bracketology because I, I tend to trust his more than the ESPN branded one. I, I get sick of hearing about Joe Lenardi and how you know he he uh, you know picks shamrocks to determine which one's going to be in the tournament and and you know all that stuff. So don't you feel like some of the stuff they say about Joe Lunardi though is some of the same stuff you'd see on like the USA gambling shows at yes. eight in the morning on a Sunday where they're just like he's gotten sixty four teams correct <laughs> each of the last four years. Call right now. <laughs> Joe Lenardi with her dead dead pipe lock with his picks. patented S curve. <laughs> the um, let's let's look at, at Jerry Palm's bracketology, shall we? And we can just analyze this if they actually had the tournament this way. The uh, the four play-in games are projected to be two sets of sixteens and a set of twelves and a set of elevens. It's been a while since we had two elevens playing in a, in a play-in game, but. The uh, the sixteens in the East, Davidson from the area here, which everybody knows them for when Steph Curry was there, and Coastal Carolina, who is for some reason caught fire under Cliff Ellis, who is approximately two hundred eighty two years old, former Clemson coach, and uh, it is the favorite for some to win the Big South Conference. I'm I'm still skeptical because I'm around that conference all the time, and I've seen several obvious winners not win once they got to the tournament. UNC Asheville's had that happen a few times. I'll see Coastal Carolina tomorrow night, actually. They play at Winthrop, and uh, I'll be working that game. So I'm, I'm curious to see this team in person. Everybody seems to to think that they're by, by far the best team in the conference. Winthrop's already beaten them down there. So if they beat them here, that creates all kinds of chaos in the, in the Big South. You could have a four-way tie for first place in that division. This far into the season? Yes, this far into the season. It's crazy Looking around that conference, I have no idea how the hell it came to this. But all these teams, and, and uh, my buddy Brett McCormick from the Rock Hill Herald actually wrote a, a piece about this probably, I don't know, two weeks ago about the parody in the Big South and how you know everything was so tightly bunched together. And people just kind of laughed it off. They're just like, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a mid-major conference. It's, it, there's nothing to this. And, you know, he cited Ken Palm stuff and, and did a lot of research, as Brett always does. But people just kind of laughed it off. Now, this is the Big South as it stands right now. If you look at the North, really you have only a, a few teams who could who could win the whole thing in the North. Uh, VMI and High Point are both eight and four in the conference. VMI is fifteen and ten overall. High Point's twelve and thirteen overall. Although they started off playing like Georgetown, a bunch of other really good teams. Uh, Radford is seven and five in the conference and seventeen and ten overall, and they're probably the team with the best chance uh, to go to the NIT or or something like that, or the CIT or the CBI or any other random combination of letters if they don't win the, the conference. Uh, Campbell, 6-6 six and 12-15. Six and 12 and 15. Campbell has the player with the best name in the country in Leak Leak. Love that dude. And uh, Liberty and Longwood are both 3-9 and nine in the conference and 9-18 and 8-19 and eight and 19 respectively. Uh, but then in the south is where it all gets kind of convoluted. Uh, and I, I take that back. You could have a, a three-way tie for second, not first. Uh, at Coastal Carolina gained a game I had forgotten about. But in the South, Coastal Carolina is 9-3. They're 16-10 overall. 
Winthrop, Gardner Webb, and UNC Asheville are all seven and five in the conference. Winthrop's fourteen and eleven. Gardner Webb fourteen and thirteen. UNC Asheville thirteen and thirteen. So they're all right there. Uh, Winthrop plays Asheville coming up. They play Gardner Webb Saturday. So this could get even more confusing. Uh, Charleston Southern's five and seven and eleven and fourteen, and Presbyterian's two and ten and six and twenty-one. And, and Presbyterian had the best bench dive I've ever seen. I sent you that picture. That was unbelievable. Week. Yes, it was. That was unbelievable. I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I still maintain that must have been someone related to Kevin Hart, <laughs> who the camera found just losing their mind. Um, and I am looking forward to him taking over the franchise right along too. So I'm, I'm pumped about that. But I don't think Presbyterian uh, is going to make that late run. Uh, I don't think they're going to be able to get there. They uh, they do have one of the be- five best players in the conference, though, in Jordan Downing, uh, one of their guard slash forward players. They have about four or five of those. But he had 31 points the other night in the victory over UNC Asheville and, and is routinely one of their top performers. He's he's one of the best players in the conference, and, and he's worth watching. Reggie Dillard is pretty talented as well and will trust their, uh, their big man, but they don't really have anything past that. So, so – Go ahead. I had a question for you, though. Yes. If I remember correctly, Winthrop was the NCAA tournament representative last year. Uh, last year, no. Um, last, was it Winthrop last year? Winthrop has been in the tournament a bunch of times, but Liberty was the uh, the representative. It was Liberty. Last year. I'm, I'm sorry. And yeah. Li- Liberty, uh, what was their record going into the Big South tournament? Uh, they were ten and twenty, I believe, or twelve and so, twenty. So all bets are still off. Uh, yes, it sounds like at this point. Yes. Um, but I mean, and if you look at these conference records, you've got—I mean, you've got some pretty clear haves and haves nots. You know, in the top four teams in each division are at least five hundred, uh, and then you have the two teams at the bottom who are struggling. But one of them being Liberty, and saw what happened last year. So it's just—it's just such a wacky conference. And I mean, you, you covering it continually tell me about all right, all this is just nuts, and there's <laughs> yes. so much parity, and so many of these teams are so close, and it's you know, a good shooting night or some good bounces or a couple good calls or something like that. And that's the margin of victory in this league. And you also have commented that there seems to be two very distinct paces of play. Halftime in the 20s, halftime in the 40s. Uh, yeah, pretty much. You saw the uh, the Radford-Asheville uh, game last week. Right. And that game... fast. Yeah, that game was 54-45 at the half, and Radford wound up winning 102-92, if that tells you anything about... Big South basketball and how it can be played. VMI loves to play that style. Uh, VMI and uh, Gardner-Webb had a four-overtime game recently where VMI won 108-104 down in Boiling Springs. So, And and that game, I have never seen this happen. That game had three buzzer beaters in the same game. That's incredible. VMI beat the buzzer in regulation, the second overtime, and the third overtime. Hmm. I've never seen that happen. Have, has there been any consideration to have VMI's head coach coach one of the uh, conferences in the NBA All-Star game? <laughs> I love that dude. Duger Bauckham is the best coach ever. I love that guy. Not not just in terms of watching him coach, but, I mean, in, in media stuff. He's as funny as it gets. And one of his former stars actually wound up playing for your uh, your Warriors, Reggie Williams. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Reggie, Reggie Williams. Williams. Yeah. Former VMI player. Former key debt. What but, is uh, a key debt? <laughs> I know what a cadet is, but uh, (laughs) I don't know what a key dead is. (laughs) The the Davidson Coastal Carolina matchup, if it did happen, two interesting white sharpshooters for Davidson because that became the running joke that all they had was white shooters. Uh, Tom Droney and Chris Cherapovitz, those those are two fun guys to watch. But Davidson Coastal would be a fun game. Uh, They have Georgetown and Tennessee as two 12s trying to play in. 
I, I, one of the things that I got to say is annoying, uh, or not annoying, but amusing about this is the fact that for these two playing games with the uh, 11 and 12 seeds, is that both are listed on the bubble. Really? Are they? <laughs> okay. I, the the playing games are they're on the bubble? Oh, okay. I get how it works now. And then uh, Providence and St. Joseph's is the 11s. Well, I always feel like the playing game has got to be such a weird thing. First of all, how'd you decide that Dayton is the spot that always gets them? Uh, that's a good question. I, I like the UD Arena, but it seems as though that, that would be a game that would be better fit to move around. I just, I'm, it's like, why there? Uh, but anyway, uh, as far as the playing games go, I still, I mean, there probably is a good example that I'm just not thinking of. Has there been a team that's played in the playing game that's made a deep run? Uh, VCU. When they went to the final four. Right. That's right. Yeah, I guess so. But I I really most of the time I end up looking at the playing games going, doesn't count towards my bracket, don't care. <laughs> well see, last year there was one night where I watched both of them because Liberty played in, uh, North Carolina A and T in the first game. And uh sorry, I, I realized when I when I mentioned this I, I forgot to bring this up, so let me make some noise for your ANT. Sorry, that's that's obligated that's awesome. if I talk about that school. But uh, A&T beat Liberty. Uh, John Caleb Sanders had a, had a running look down the uh, down the lane, missed it. They lost the game. I think it was seventy three seventy two. I don't have the score in front of me, but don't hold me to that. And then Middle played St. Mary's right after that, and that bastard Matthew Delavadova went off on on uh, on Middle, and Middle lost. And so I was I was pretty bitter after that evening. Granted, I, I yeah, like A and T. They have good people, and and uh, you know I, I can't say enough good things about A and T, but I still. Uh, being the big South Homer I am, I was I was kind of rooting for Liberty there. Sure, well, understandably so. Why, why wouldn't you follow the conference as closely as you do, covering it? You'd want those teams to do well, especially when they have good people surrounding them. Which, you know, it sounds like pretty much all the schools have some pretty cool people that they do. And uh, you know, I, I've seen people say, "Well, it's really tough not to get close to people when you cover them and and all that kind of stuff." There's there's a really fine line you have to walk, especially at that level, because it's very easy to, you know, start looking at people as well. I shouldn't say anything negative about them because they're always so kind to me. But you still have a job you have to do, so sure. it's it's really tough to balance that. But yeah, it's I, I do have to credit the Big South. It's it's the best beat in the world. The, the people are so kind and they're always so accommodating of their time and they're they're honest with you. I, I still have to laugh at Pat Kelsey, the Winthrop coach, saying that he's a boring interview and. <laughs> In pressers, you know, he he doesn't even front about it. He's just like, you know what? I'm just going to hit you with coach speak, and you're going to love it. So, <laughs> but the the thing about the Big South, you can say about every other so-called mid-major and low-major conference in America, the the team that wins the thing is going to be somebody who gets really hot shooting during the four or five games they play in the conference tournament. Somebody who can get out and get and get a hand in somebody's face on the perimeter, particularly if you have a, a size advantage on the perimeter. If you've got you know six five six six guys and you got six two shooters. You know, get it, get a hand in somebody's face out on the perimeter, and somebody, whatever the hell that is, uh, somebody who who Smoke can, alarm. Uh, yeah, I know, <laughs> somebody who can, and this is the big thing, somebody who can block penetration of the lane, blocking dribble penetration is so big because you don't really have a bunch of seven foot guys and six eleven guys in those mid major conferences. You have to block dribble penetration because. Your big guys at that stage are guys who are six five and six six, trying to take the ball to the basket and get one on one matchups and win them. You look at, I mean, you've talked about Gardner Webb, yeah, and the, you know, and that's 
But that's not necessarily unique for a smaller conference because all of those big guys are going to go to bigger schools. They see the size, and schools are like, oh, we'll take a chance on him. He's seven foot. Why not? So, I mean, it's not it's not uh, weird to see that. But, I mean, shooting nights can carry you in a tournament and stuff like that, and matchups are so important. Um, but, you know, the thing that the thing that, that's so funny is I, I was kind of skimming over this Jerry Palm bracket. And the game that I'm doing this Saturday is I'm doing USD. Uh, I'm, USD is hosting Gonzaga, and I see Gonzaga is listed as a on the bubble ten seed. They're twenty three and four. Well, <laughs> let's let's be fair though. The West Coast Conference this year is, is not, not what good. it was last year. I mean, last year you had Santa Clara that won the CBI or CIT or whatever the hell uh, three initial tournament that was. Uh, you had a better BYU team last year, honestly. US, sure. USD was decent last year. USF was yeah, actually some somewhat, uh, you know, somewhat viable. And you mentioned USD being better this year. They they really are. But you had a lot more balanced conference last year. To be fair, Santa Clara lost almost their entire team. And uh, but still, it's it's just amusing to me the way that some of these conferences that were so good on the West Coast last year, like we mentioned the West Coast Conference, the Mountain West Conference was fantastic last year. I mean, the RPI of that conference was the best in the country for a good portion of the season. And now the number two team in the conference is listed as New, is New Mexico, and they're listed as an on-the-bubble nine seed. <laughs> That's just stunning how much the landscape changes from year to year based on who's got strong senior classes, based on who changes coaches. Uh, based on you know what good recruits come in, uh, and that's I mean, it's it's just so many people to keep track of. The the big thing though that that put Gonzaga on the bubble is that they lost to Portland. That's that's clearly what put them on the bubble because remember ESPN made a big deal out of it. It's like that's the first time they've beaten them since 1996 with the storm on the floor and have right know, have Jaron Collins ask a bunch of stupid questions. Well, the thing that's been amazing about that, though, is Portland has had two games this year where they've ended up storming the court uh, at home after a victory. I stormed it on the road would be dumb. Uh, <laughs> it'd be weird. Why'd I make that distinction? Anyway, what else? Uh, as I've walked, as I've watched both of them back uh, in, you know, working on a couple of Portland games this year, even other people in the crew have said, "Watch this. They don't know how to storm the floor right." <laughs> Everyone just kind of looked around and like was very gingerly moving chairs out of the way as they were trying to go on the floor and just polite like excuse me. <laughs> Other schools, people are screaming and running on the floor before the game's even over. The other teams like sprinting to the locker room trying to get away from these people because they know they've lost. Whereas Portland's just like, is this okay? All right, we're going for it. We're gonna go out there. Let's go slow, guys. Don't pull a hammy. The uh, the other playing game, by the way, that they have listed is. A game that would probably be an all-time low in terms of ratings, Weber State and Alabama State. Mm, two noted media markets there, Weber State and Alabama State. Yeah, Logan, Utah. and <laughs> Social media is going to blow up over that thing. So, obviously, that means that, you know, that means they're going to get more attention, right? Because we've equated social media with, uh, with TV time. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the one seeds they have, Syracuse in the East, Wichita State in the Midwest, Florida in the South, Arizona in the West. Now, I've, I've seen a lot of people today, particularly, commenting about how Florida is a better team to everybody except for humans, saying that the computers like them better than Syracuse. They're, they're more talented. They've got better quality wins, et cetera, et cetera. But Syracuse would still be the number one overall seed in, in this scenario, with Wichita State being the second. Right. 
I mean, can you really deny a team that, you know, hasn't lost? No, I, I don't think so. I, I'd love to know why people think Florida is better than Syracuse, particularly in a down SEC this year. The SEC is not the ACC. I think anybody who's objective can admit that. I don't even know who's in one conference anymore, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but it, yeah, it's such a weird thing. Like, ah, Duke and Syracuse meeting in conference play. What? No, they're in, <laughs> they're in the ACC and the Big E. Oh. That's right. The Big East doesn't exist anymore. This is weird. This is just strange. Well, I mean, it does, but you know what I mean. It doesn't. The, the, the SEC, for instance, it was gutted. <laughs> the SEC right now. Okay, Florida's twelve and zero. They're twenty three and two. Kentucky's ten and three and twenty and six. After that, you go down to Georgia, who's eight and four, fourteen and ten. Ole Miss seven and six, sixteen and ten. Missouri six and six, eighteen and seven. LSU six and six, fifteen and nine. Tennessee six and six, fifteen and ten. Vanderbilt six and six, fourteen and ten. That's your top eight teams in the SEC. What's the last time you really talked about the SEC as a murder run of basketball teams, though? Uh, well, it's been a while. They they were really good for a few years. Back um, when Arkansas was was playing well. Yeah, that's that, and then the eighty six run that LSU had, where they they won the whole thing as an eleven seed. They were pretty stacked. Well, I mean, that don't year. get me wrong; they've had good teams. You know, Kentucky's sure. won some national titles. Sure. sure. I understand that, and you know Arkansas did too. But as a top-to-bottom conference, there aren't too many times where you head into the tournament seeing the talking heads talk about, well, the SEC was just so strong this year. I see them getting so many teams. You know what I mean? Although I guess to be fair, the the ACC is kind of middle-heavy too because you have Syracuse, who's twelve and zero, twenty-five and zero. Virginia's twelve and one, twenty-one and five. Duke nine and three, twenty and five. North Carolina eight and four, eight and four, eighteen and seven. Pitt eight and five, twenty and six. And then you go down to uh, it, just using conference records, Clemson seven and six, Maryland seven and seven, NC State six and seven, Florida State six and eight, uh, Notre Dame five and eight. But you still at least cited some some pretty high level teams, sure, to top off sure. that conference. Whereas with the SEC, it was here's Florida, here's Kentucky, and we're done. <laughs> yeah, here's everybody else. Right. <laughs> I um, so. I do have to before we get to this this portion of the bracket because we are going to talk about this team eventually. But I I was fascinated by something that was brought up yesterday by St. Louis University, and yesterday would have been Rick Majera's 66th birthday, and of course we lost him recently, as you know. And they they mentioned a quote from Rick Majeris in March of 2012, and he said, "We'll be a top 10 team in about three years. I did it at Ball State, did it at Utah, and we're going to do it here." And right. now they are a top 10 team. Isn't that incredible? It is. And I mean, St. Louis, they've they've got some success in their past with Charlie Spoonauer and some of the other teams they've had there, but they've never been like this. And that team is lethal if you watch them play. I mean, they, they've got Rob Lowe out there who's a 6'10 guy out there popping threes. They're, you can't get out and defend that. It's just, it's impossible. You know, if we had just uh, removed 6'10 guy from that sentence and just said <laughs> Rob Lowe is popping threes, I think a lot of people would have thought that meant something completely different. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. But uh, I watched the St. Louis VCU game on on Saturday, and it's it's really tough. Now, if you look at the final score, it, it wouldn't tell you this, but if you look at the, at the overall game, it's tough to see a team dismantle VCU, particularly on the perimeter. And St. Louis did between Jordair Jett and Rob Lowe and, and all the other athletic players they have, Dwayne Evans. I mean, they, they've got such talent on St. Louis' team, and they just completely shut down VCU in St. Louis. Now... How how that holds up come tournament time, who knows? But that's a really tough team. I don't think anybody wants to face them. They have all kinds of matchup nightmares. 
I had to ran, I ended up randomly catching a half of VCU's game against George Washington. Uh, I think it was about a week ago. And man, um, that was just an ass kicking. <laughs> yes. Um, and it was a little bit, you know, gulf in, in talent between those two teams, but still VCU was incredibly impressive, you know, havoc and, and all of the things that go with it and all the results you'd exact, absolutely expect from it with so many turnovers and, and easy points that way. And I mean, there's a reason that that style has played so well, I think, in the tournament. But, you know, for St. Louis to just take a defense like that apart, that says something. Well, St. Louis, I, I talk about, you know, matchups all the time and, and how how important it is to win matchups. And that's that's really where basketball games are won. If, if you take individual one-on-one matchups and break down those matchups, that's where you win games. It's not necessarily who's got the more talented overall team. It's, it's who wins those matchups. And that's how teams like Wichita State, like St. Louis, like all these other so-called mid-majors, Gonzaga even, that's how they've become so successful is they win individual matchups, and those individual matchups translate into a better team performance. And and really, if you watch Wichita State, you watch uh, Ron Baker and watch you know Van Vliet and all the other talent that they've got on that team, people have said, oh, that's a fraud team. Sure, they've played the Missouri Valley Conference, but that's a damn good team. And that's a team that went to the Final Four last year. And, and to think that they're just some flash in the pan when they're undefeated and they were a Final Four team last year, that's crazy. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And it just takes a long time for people, especially uh, especially in the national media, to get over name recognition. Right, right. You know, and that's understandable. You don't think of Wichita State as notable basketball power, especially when you, know, when you hear like, oh, UCLA – Someone like that who's a story program, yeah. obviously they're going to get much more attention and it's going to be easier for people to 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 not only you know want to cover them because they feel they're going to get better ratings and it's going to be easier for people to watch them. Just like, oh yeah, it's UCLA. They're always good in basketball, even though that's a poor example of late. It's really just fired the coach <laughs> last year, but whatever. You're going to stay with me on this one. Come on. <laughs> so I think you know what I'm saying. Still, the best thing they can do, especially if you're a smaller school, is just keep winning. I think of Wichita State because of the baller hat I have of theirs. I have one of their baseball hats with the, uh, you know, the sh- the wheat shocker on the front of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just like calling them Wichita. <laughs> some some of the matchups that that Jerry Palm has in this thing, and, it, and of course we won't break down the one sixteen stuff. I mean that's that's stupid. But looking around the East, for instance, you have a potential Iowa State Belmont matchup in the first round if that were to happen. Now Belmont has already won in Chapel Hill this year. Belmont's one of those teams. You've seen them in the tournament. I've seen them in the tournament. They always seem to sneak up on people. As good as Iowa State's been this year, that's one of those teams where you look at the bracket and go, oh, no, not them. And Belmont's well, given us I no reason to think differently. Iowa State fan. Yeah, <laughs> true. But, Otherwise, whatever, man, upsets. Woohoo! <laughs> well, Belmont this year, they've, they've been kind of as much as possible under the radar, but they're 11-2 and in the conference. They're 20-8 overall. They're going to win the Ohio Valley East. They're on, they're on a collision course with Murray State yet again. Murray State is extremely good again, despite, again, not really getting a whole lot of notice. But they're both 11-2 and two in the Ohio Valley. And Belmont, you look at that team and you wonder, how the hell do they keep beating people? They're, they don't look that talented. They don't look that quick. But they always sneak up on people every year. Yeah, again, smaller school just win, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, oh, hey, this seems so much more legitimate when this team has a gaudy record. They uh, they also in the East have a, an interesting 
6-11 matchup of that St. Louis team we mentioned against a suddenly relevant again SMU. Yeah, Larry Brown, uh, which is just incredible that he's uh, – what, Larry Brown's coaching in college? Yeah, he is, and SMU is really good, and he's even saying, oh, this is coming faster than we thought, but uh, this is pretty special to get people's attention again. And it was great because I got to dust off all my gold Corvette jokes – <laughs> um, you know, about the recruiting and this happening sooner than people thought. So that was fun. Um, I was more figuring that you would just make a beeline for the 314 matchup on this side of the bracket. Yeah, I was I was going there. Wisconsin and Middle Tennessee, I, I really hope that doesn't happen because Middle Tennessee is not as athletic as they are and as good of a shooting team as they are. They are not a very disciplined team. And if they get into the, you know, 49-46 games like Bo Ryan loves, that's, that's going to be ugly for Kermit Davis and his bunch. I, I hope like hell that doesn't happen. Well, that, it's been such a weird year for Wisconsin, too, hasn't it? With yeah. the way that they started out undefeated, and then they had a bunch of losses there in a short period of time, and then they come back and win a game like they did it at Michigan over the weekend. And um, uh, The thing is, is, Wisconsin has always been so bad when it has uh, come to NCAA tournament time. It seems like if they get out of the first weekend, it seems like it's a miracle in the last few years. Yeah, and you know, you kind of every single year you do your brackets. Even going back to when they played Wofford a couple of years ago, your first thought is always pick the upset every single time. And you know, no, mine's usually chalk. Actually, I gotta <laughs> say, I'm really bad at picking upsets. I usually pick almost my entire first round and then go. I haven't picked any upsets. I gotta change something. <laughs> I'm really bad at that. Just uh, go find a little six year old girl or something on your street and say, "Hey, who's got the better looking uniform here?" Exactly. Please. <laughs> Please. By, by the way, uh, Middle, in their first year in Conference USA play, they're 9-2 and two in the conference, or 19-7 and seven overall. They are at the top of the conference with traditional powers, Louisiana Tech and UTEP. <laughs> well, I mean, not everyone who switches conferences has a great first year in the conference. For example, you got Utah State in the Mountain West, and they're not, um, they're not doing so hot. But, uh, man, good transition there for Middle. Yeah, and of course, right behind them, you have... Eight and three Southern Miss and eight and three Tulsa. Tulsa led by Danny Manning of all people. Of course, why wouldn't they be? <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting matchup. I don't I don't like it for Middle if it comes to that. The other matchup I really wouldn't like if I were a fan of this team. A potential North Carolina Colorado matchup. That's really bad for the Tar Heels. Really bad. Well, I mean, that's a, you still think that's a really bad matchup considering the injury problems the Buffaloes have. I do mainly because they're going up against one of those teams where, and, and Belmont was the same thing. You look at them, you think they're hurt, they're down, they're you know they're not going to pre- present any kind of a threat at all, and then they sneak up on you and beat you. And Colorado did that last year in the tournament to a couple of people. They could do it again, although as you mentioned, they are somewhat hurt. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie being out for the season, that's a pretty big blow when you lose your best player. It is, yes, but they do still have 19 victories. Mm -hmm. They are still a legitimate club. And I I just think matchup-wise, it's not the best for Carolina. And Carolina's kind of in in shreds right now anyway. You're you're getting occasional good games from Tokido and and, uh, occasional good games from Marcus Page, but that that team is struggling too. And if if you're Carolina, that's not a good matchup for you. Now, granted, Colorado may not beat them. But if they ended up with Cincinnati in round two, like that bracket is proposed, that would mm-hmm. be not the good. I'm just – could anyone have possibly fathomed that things would have gone this way as they would have for Roy Williams at North Carolina after winning a national title there? Uh, no. And see, you I figure – It's unbelievable. 
You just figured that just based on name value alone, he'll right. get some good kids. Right, exactly. His and, name, school's name, school history. And see, everybody's going to Duke now. You, you look at Jabari Parker and, and all the bunch over at Duke. Those, those are all guys that Carolina was in on, and, and you know they're just like, nah, no, I'm good. I'll just go, I'll go across town. And can you imagine Carolina with Jabari Parker instead of Duke? Um, and I think that probably would change the landscape of college basketball, Brian. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, in the South, they have an 8-9 matchup of VCU-Stanford. You know, I, I, I worked on a Stanford game earlier this year, and I wasn't overly impressed. You know, uh, it wasn't... Uh, I mean... Two great young coaches, though. Shaka Smart, Johnny Dawkins. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd be tempted to go with VCU just just because of the way that they play and the success they've had in the tournament of late. But there's just, especially those eight nine games. It's like, ah, do I really want to sp- spend time, you know, laboring over this so long that I, you know, the team that I think is going to lose to a number one seed in round two? I'm sorry, round three. Yeah, VCU Florida would be interesting because Shaka Smart used to coach at Florida. Uh, it would be interesting, but I mean, you know, the computers already have Florida winning the title, so well, yeah, we're true. debating it. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, the uh, the Midwest, which is how state number one seed, as we mentioned, a uh, Virginia Stone Cold Stephen F. Austin matchup in, in round one. Uh, Virginia should get past that, but they could potentially face Iowa in round two, and Iowa is the, the breakout sensation of the year. Roy Devin Marble and that bunch. Uh, a lot of people really like them. I, I've seen them play a few times. I, I'm kind of... Still not sold on them. They're athletic. They shoot well, and they have a great coach. But I, I don't think they're anywhere near ready for tournament play yet. Really, I just I, I I've only caught you know halves of, of games here and there, and I watched them absolutely just beat the tar out of Michigan um, a couple weeks ago. Sure, and sure. man, that so if that's all you've ever seen of them, it's tough not to feel like, oh, that's <laughs> a pretty good team, right? But right. Yeah, what can I say? And Stephen F. Austin has the you know is getting getting poll votes. I mean that's that's amazing. Yeah, the uh, the thing about Iowa though, they're they're only strangely enough four and three in their last seven games. They uh, they lost at Michigan, they lost to Michigan State at home, and they lost to Ohio State at home. Well, you know, Big Ten play is just so brutal on the road. Huh? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, there's also a Memphis Baylor matchup in in that one, which could end up being another 102 101 game if that were to be played. Seriously, uh, bet the over. That would be my thought. <laughs> and of course, in that bracket, you would also have the Creighton team that has just completely boat raced Villanova twice, once in their place. You hit 21 threes in a game as a team. Good grief. They are really good, man. Uh, they yeah. really can execute. McDermott's really good. Uh, it's one of those things where I look back on the game where, where San Diego State beat Creighton earlier this year. And it's like, wow, that really? How'd that happen? That's nuts. Although without a good win, yeah, without uh, Gregory Echenique in his pink shoes, you know, kind of kind of different. What's that? Uh, Gregory Echenique was their their former center, and he always wore goggles and pink shoes. Well, yeah, no, I, I was like, what about him? Oh, yeah, he needs them badly. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, by, by the way, I have to give credit to Tom Arnold, apparently, referring to uh, Indiana's coach as Coach Cream. Coach Cream. Nicely done. Uh, the, the Gonzaga team that you mentioned is an on-the-bubble team would be matched up against UMass, who has completed a renaissance that I don't think anybody could have imagined when John Calipari left that place in shambles, and they sucked for years. So is Lou Rowe Jr. on that team? <laughs> or is it Edgar Padilla Jr.? Or is it maybe Carmelo Travieso Yeah, I was, I was going Travieso. <laughs> Nicely done. 
the the interesting matchup in that though, they have Kansas and North Carolina Central, and a lot of people would laugh about North Carolina uh, North Carolina Central, but. That's a damn good team. They beat NC State over there earlier this year. Lavelle Moten, one of the best young coaches in college basketball. That's a really athletic school for a so-called HBCU school. Not saying they'd go out and beat Kansas, but they'd give them an interesting game at least. I, I think that's probably a 10-point game at worst. I think Jimmy Degree thinks, of course, they're athletic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, and, and finally, the uh, the West, looking at the West, Arizona, the one seed, of course, GW and New Mexico in the first round. You've seen both those teams, either live or on TV. Yeah, you know, I mean, there are certain times where I watch New Mexico and it's, man, they're, they're executing, they're playing really, really well. And then they just have some random losses, like losing at home to UNLV. Um, and, I mean, talk about a team that makes no sense this year. That would be UNLV for me. I mean, this is a team that has recruited such highly touted guys, has so much talent, athletic ability, and then manages to, you know, lose at the Thompson Mac Center to Dixie State. <laughs> what? Well, how did that? So, you know, who knows? But as far as New Mexico goes, I mean, it, it's not a question necessarily of having talented players. But it, again, we go back to the fact that Mountain West is getting no respect this year outside of San Diego State, and I mean, the fact that they're a nine seed in a bubble team. <laughs> Of course, Yikes. though. That's amazing. The uh, the big thing with with New Mexico is they don't have Tony Snell to curse at this year. So, no, no, they don't. They don't have him. And um, you know, it, it's just kind of amazing though with with New Mexico the way that Steve Alford came in and talked about what a great job it was and how long he wanted to stay there. And then all of a sudden, so someone showed up with a few suitcases full of money from US UCLA <laughs> rather. And like, Sorry, guys, I got to go, and I'm uh, going to have my kids transfer as well from the team. Thanks, bye. <laughs> And uh, as as we uh, as we wind down the program, we have one game left to uh, to talk about, and we'll we'll get to that in just a second. I, w- I want to tell everybody really quickly the opening round, of course, is in Dayton. As always, the the weekend games are in Buffalo, Milwaukee, Orlando, Spokane on March twentieth, twenty second, Raleigh, San Antonio, San Diego, St. Louis on the twenty first and twenty third. The regionals are in Memphis and Anaheim on the twenty seventh and twenty ninth, New York City and Indianapolis on the twenty eighth and thirtieth, and the final four is in Dallas. And the final game we were going to talk about. Of course, the beloved Aztecs, and they've got them matched up against the Anteaters of UC Irvine with a possible matchup with Pittsburgh in round three, if that were to happen. In round three. Yeah. Now, that that would be interesting to see the Aztecs matched up with a... Um... You know, a team like Pittsburgh, who's so physical. And, I mean, that's a game that, that San Diego State has shown that they can play this year. Um, but... It's it's again it's it's something where the size of having guys like Skylar Spencer and Josh Davis inside would make it where they can play that game. Uh, as it, the last few years, they've been dramatically undersized. Playing a guy like Jamal Franklin as a power forward, um, you know, hey, it's six six, just be a post for us, okay? Thanks. <laughs> um, so they're they're just more versatile this year in the way that they can play. They still are going to struggle in half court against better defensive teams. You know, in the loss to Wyoming, they definitely struggled to score. They had a bad shooting night, um, you know, and, and turned the ball over, and it was the recipe for everything you'd expect from a for an upset. But uh, as far as San Diego State this year, the thing that's just been incredible is watching Xavier Thames and the way that he has managed to make big shot after big shot. And it's not necessarily shots that 
you know, are game winners, and he has made those. But even games like a, a game against San Jose State where that ended up being a blowout on the road at San Jose State it was something where San Jose State was kind of hanging around. San Diego State had not really put it together. And then Thames made two buckets in a row, and that just sparked the run that just absolutely put the game away. So even when it's it's not necessarily the biggest stage, he seems to hit shots at big times. And if he can continue to do that, I would be really curious to see where they can go. It, it's obviously a big if because – uh, it's not exactly the most repeatable skill in the world, but at the same time, uh, he just seems to have that knack. And it's been it's really been incredible to watch this year because I think people expected him to, to definitely be a team leader, but maybe not anywhere close to this level to the point where, you know, he's getting talk about the Naismith Award this late in the season. And, and then you have games with Frigley jacking threes at the end of the game. <laughs> That's a whole other story. I, I just feel like, man, you, you know, you, you really were good at putting the ball on the floor and taking to the rack in high school. You can do that if there's no one in front of you. You don't have to shoot the three. And Off balance. Falling to the side. <laughs> uh, the thing I will point out, though, is, yes. is that if you look past it to the regionals, the West regionals are in Anaheim. Um, if San Diego State manages to make it to the West regionals, assuming they are put uh, in the in the West, that would be – a pretty incredible scene. I guarantee you that San Diego State fans would travel en masse, uh, you know, make the short trip from wherever in Southern California and absolutely pack that building. Uh, San Diego State played against UCLA last season uh, in the Wooden Classic there, and it was about 75% Aztec fans. So I would be really, really, I mean, that would be a huge advantage to see San Diego State end up in the West and playing in the regionals, assuming they make it that far in Anaheim. Whereas potentially you could have Duke play in Raleigh in, the, in their first two games and then go to, you know, New York City or Indianapolis or Memphis or Anaheim. So. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Anaheim. We're in Raleigh and Anaheim. Go. <laughs> and uh, as, as we end the program, just to let you know, for entertainment purposes only, the uh, Aztecs minus nine and a half against Utah State tonight. Man, you know, uh, I'm kind of surprised to hear that 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 line. Um, I think that I think they can cover that. I really do. That, I mean, here. Utah State, Utah State's way better at home, like way better at home. <laughs> With the obvious headline from CBS, San Diego State needs to win tonight against Utah State. Really? Really? No, that's that's uh, going out on a limb right there. I do find <laughs> it amazing though, Kansas Jayhawks, number one, uh, number one team in RPI. But I did think it was interesting where it says on how the Jayhawks can boost their RPI today. San Diego State beats Utah State. Why? San Diego State <laughs> won at Fog Allen. Not yes. going to forget that for a long time. Uh, yeah, agreed. For uh, for good and not so good reasons. Well, yeah, I'm trying to think of. Yeah, I know. We'll think of the good reasons. A game instead of what yeah. came out after the game. We'll think of the good reasons. Yes, the good reasons. You know, like the uh, <laughs> ability to offensive rebound and hit free throws. But yeah, for those not, of you, go ahead. <laughs> not make jumpers. Yeah. And I remember I watched back the last five minutes of that game just because I was still in that, like, oh, I can't believe this happened. Yeah. And I watched it back and I was like, man, this is actually really boring. Neither team can make shots at all. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Jay Billis was right. No. Don't get, <laughs> you're, you're encouraging him again. <laughs> yeah, just two weeks, by the way, uh, for those of you who are college basketball tournament junkies, just two weeks until conference tournaments start, including the Big South in the Myrtle Beach area of South Carolina and so many more. However, we don't have two more weeks left in the program. In fact, we don't even have two more minutes. So we'll go ahead and... Can you believe how fast the season is going, Brian? <laughs> that game at Portland was already senior day. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this has been Sports Matters for February 18th. I had to look at the date again. 2014. 
For Ed Barnes, I'm Brian Wilmer. Thank you again for joining us. Glad to be back in the sports saddle for a week. And uh, until next week, we'll probably talk some sports again next week. Not sure. But until then, thank you for giving us your time. Be well. We'll talk soon.